invite you to join me in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. It is in Genesis chapter 15 that we are introduced formally to the Abrahamic covenants. We've seen in Genesis 12 and 13 and 14 these promises that have been made to God and made by God to Abram and reaffirmed by God several times. But now, here in Genesis 15, these promises are ratified officially in a covenant. Now, this isn't the first covenant that we've seen in the scriptures. We have seen the covenant of works with Adam made in the garden. We saw that that covenant was broken. And through the breaking of that covenant by Adam, sin and a curse was brought upon humanity. We've also seen the Noahic covenant, this covenant of creation, this covenant of common grace through which God promises to preserve and stabilize his creation after the destruction of the earth through a cataclysmic flood. And so up until this point, we've seen that God's creation, his world, is governed by these two covenants. One author says the covenant of works curses mankind. The Noahic covenant stabilizes that cursed world so that redemptive history can play out and God's promises can be fulfilled. Well, it is in the Abrahamic covenant that we see God moving his redemptive purposes and plans in the world forward. It is in the Abrahamic covenant that God ratifies redemptive promises to humanity. And so we want to turn now our attention to Genesis 15 verses 7 through 21. We're going to begin reading at the beginning of the chapter to set the stage for our verses of consideration. And if you have found your way there, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together. Beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, What can you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, Bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to him, Know this for certain, your offspring will be my resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. 
In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, and it was dark, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I will I give you... Excuse me. I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. You may be seated. Well, if you remember, last week we encountered an Abram that was down off of the mountaintop of victory and down in the valley of doubt and despair. He was coming off of this great victory that God had granted him in Genesis chapter 14 as he rescues Lot and all of his possessions as well as many people from the clutches of King Ketelamer. Abram here demonstrates great strength and faith in God, and God blesses him greatly, honoring his promises made in Genesis 12, and uses Abram to deliver Lot and rescue the people. But last week, as we turned our attention to Genesis chapter 15, we saw Abram in a very different place. Down off of the mountaintop of victory and down in the valley of despair, he expresses his fear, he demonstrates his weakness, and he confesses his doubt in God's promises. Abram is wrestling with his own fear and doubt as he fears retaliation from King Ketelamar for this battle that he has won. But he also fears and, uh, and doubts the promises of God. We noted last week that it has been a while since God spoke to reaffirm his promises to Abram. It had been years since the initial promise was made. And it had likely been over a decade since God had initially called him out of Ur to go to a place that he did not know where he was going. And as he and his barren wife grow older, Abram is worried and doubtful that God will fulfill the promises made to him so many years before. This is the state that we find Abram in as we looked to Genesis 15, 1-6 last week. But God come graciously to Abram in a vision, declared his word to him, and reminded Abram of his unwavering faithfulness and invited him to believe in his promises. And in this, God strengthened Abram's faith. Well, now as we continue studying through Genesis 15, we are reminded this morning that not only does God give his word to Abram to strengthen his faith, but he confirms that word by a covenant. God answers Abram's weakness and doubt with a covenant to reassure Abram of his faithfulness. Well, dear Christian, as we consider this text this morning, we're reminded that like Abram, our faith is often weak. We find ourselves off the mountaintop of victory and down in the valley of doubt and despair. We doubt God's promises and we doubt his goodness. 
And in those moments, we seek some sort of tangible verification, some sort of evidence to prove that God really is who he says he is and that he really will do what he says he will do. Like Abram, through these concerns and troubles and uncertainties, we seek reassurance by our own efforts. We tend to rely, rather than on the promises of God, we tend to rely upon our own abilities and our own limited understanding. However, we want to be reminded this morning, brothers and sisters, that the security, the assurance, the comfort, the peace that we are seeking cannot be guaranteed by human efforts. These can only be secured by trusting in the faithfulness of our God. And it is God's covenant faithfulness that overcomes our doubts to establish trust and hope in Him. God graciously, patiently, and even condescendingly addresses Abram's doubts and fears and weaknesses by making him these covenant promises. And I hope that we see as we walk through this passage together that in the same way that God addresses Abram's fears and his weaknesses and his doubts, So God also graciously and patiently and certainly condescendingly addresses our weaknesses, our doubts, our fears, our needs through his covenantal promises made to us in Christ Jesus. It is by his covenant promises secured to us that is uh, through his son that we find our hope, we find our peace, we find our security. It is God's covenant faithfulness that overcomes our doubts and meets our needs. It is God's covenant faithfulness that is revealed to us here in Genesis 15. So if you're following along and taking notes this morning, we're only going to have one point that we want to focus on, and it's this. The Lord confirms his faithfulness to his promises through a covenant. The Lord confirms his faithfulness to his promises through a covenant. Once again, I would remind you that last week, ending in verse 6 of this chapter, we left off with Abram gazing into the heavens, beholding the glory of the night sky above as he ponders God's promises to him that Abram, your offspring, will be as numerous and as glorious as the stars of heaven. God had come to Abram in this vision to encourage and strengthen his faith, declaring to him, Abram, I will be your shield, your defender, your protector. But Abram, even more than that, I will be your exceedingly great reward. I will be your blessing. I will be your eternal reward. But even in this life, I will promise you and bless you with an offspring, a seed that will come from your own body. And in this vision, God refocuses Abram on his promises and on himself. But now this morning, as we come to verses 7 through 8, God reminds Abram that not only will a people come from him, but this people will also inherit, that will, they will inherit a land that God has promised to them. And so Abram asked about the land promise that God had made to him in Genesis 12, that there, this people will be a great nation, but not only that, there'll be a land that they are going to inherit, the same promise that God had reaffirmed to Abram in Genesis 13. So the content of the Abrahamic covenant we studied back in Genesis chapter 12. We read there, and maybe you want to turn back a few pages, Genesis 12 verses 1 through 3 says this, 
The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God has already made these I will statements, these promissory commitments to Abram. He's going to give him a place, a land of his own that his offspring will inherit. He left Ur going to a land. He didn't know the destination until God brought him there. And God says, this is the land that I'm going to give you. God has promised that he will give Abram an offspring, a, a great nation, a people that will descend from him. But we, we realized there in Genesis 12 that it was more about the singular offspring, the one who will come, who will secure all of these promises, than the innumerable offspring that will inevitably come from Abram. He promised him that he will bless him and make his name great, that Abram would not have to seek this blessing. He would not have to seek making his name great as the tower builders of Genesis 11 sought to exalt themselves above God. God promises here that he will exalt Abram in due time. And he promises ultimately a, a purpose that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. And it is in that grand statement that God promises his program for redemptive history. The holy offspring promised to Eve in Genesis 3.15 that there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent once and for all will be of the genealogy of Abram. These are the promises that God had made to Abram. But he also reminds Abram that of who he is and, and how he's already shown Abram his faithfulness. Abram, I've made you these promises. But he says to him in verse 7, Abram, I'm the God. I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And though Abram is gazing up at the night sky, believing in the Lord, and it's counted to him as righteousness, there's still a tendency toward doubt, a concern that these promises might not be fulfilled in the way he believes they will be fulfilled. And so God declares his name to him. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He reveals, he speaks his covenant name to him. We've seen this a few times in Genesis most significantly, we saw this in the institution of the covenant, work, covenant of works in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God comes to Adam and he places him in the garden and gives him a command concerning the tree of knowledge and good and evil and institutes the covenant of works there. It's the Lord, Yahweh, his covenant name. But I think even more significantly, we see this same promise, the same name declared to the people of Israel who have been delivered out of Egypt in Exodus 20. They're brought out of Egypt across the sea and they come to Mount Sinai on the other side and God speaks in Exodus 20 before instituting the covenant and the Ten Commandments with them. The Lord spoke all of these things. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. 
And so the people of Israel, whom Moses is writing about this Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 15 to them, would have immediately recognized and heard the familiarity of the language. I'm, I'm the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. They've heard these words of God spoken to them through their prophet Moses. And now Moses is saying this is essentially the same thing that God spoke to our father Abram as he institutes his covenant in Genesis 15, people of Israel, if God is faithful to Abram in Genesis 15, you have seen the fulfillment of these promises. So you can rest assured that the promises that God has declared to you upon the mountain and the covenant that he has instituted for you will surely be fulfilled. He tells him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees. He's the one who brought Abram out of idolatry, out of sin. He called him to a land that he will give him. It is all of these things that have come to Abram by God's grace to him. Abram was an idolater living in sin in Ur of the Chaldees, and yet God called him out. God graciously blessed him and made him a new creature and gave him a new purpose. And so by reminding him of his covenant name and his covenant faithfulness already to Abram, God is preparing Abram to receive his covenant. And God institutes this covenant as the Lord God, as the sovereign Lord. He alone has the right to establish the terms of relationship with Abram. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 2 as we studied the covenant of works as well as in Genesis 9 when we studied the Noahic covenant, we defined a covenant like this. It's essentially a covenant. A covenant is a formalized relationship. When God makes that covenant relationship and establishes that relationship with man, it is God who sets the terms of the agreement. One author called it this, a divinely sanctioned commitment or relationship. It is something that God imposes above and beyond the creator-creature relationship that he has with us and imposes this on us to reveal himself to us and to relate to us as his creation. And so Abram is reminded of God's faithfulness to him in the past, but also being prepared to receive the covenant that God is going to make with him. Abram, I am the Lord. I am the covenant God. And Abram asks him, Lord, how do I know? How can I know that I will possess it? Well, as strange as it might seem to us, God gives Abram a way to know that he will possess it. He says in verse 9, he said to him, bring me a three-year-old goat, cow, excuse me, a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram immediately goes and grabs these things because he understands what we might not intuitively know reading this passage, and that is that God is preparing to make a covenant or cut a covenant with Abram. The Hebrew language for the phrase to make a covenant is to cut a covenant. And so when God tells Abram to go and get these animals and cut them in half and lay them opposite each other, essentially forming a bloody pathway between the head and the hind side of the animals, Abram knew exactly what was about to happen, that there was going to be a covenant made between God and Abram. 
So Abram does as God commands. He goes and gets the animals. He cuts them in half and separates them, creating this bloody pathway for them to walk down. Abram has arranged a covenant ratification ritual. And the purpose of this ritual is to invoke a curse upon the person engaging in the covenant. In other words... When a person engaged in a covenant in the old, old time, ancient times in the Old Testament, they were saying, if I violate this covenant that I'm making today, may God make me like the animals that have been divided in half. May I be split in half. May I be cursed. May I be killed. May I be cut in two for breaking this covenant. So the participants are in effect inviting God to cut them in two like the animals if they do not keep their covenant promises. One author summarized this way, the fate of the animals point to what would befall the humans in the event of covenant violation. Abram is no doubt anticipating walking side by side with God between these two animals, making a covenant with God and entering into agreement with God. But we see in the text that this is not a two-party covenant. A deep sleep falls upon Abram. He is, this reminds us of the language of Genesis 2 when God puts Adam under a deep sleep and he takes a rib from his side and forms Eve, but a deep sleep falls upon Abram. And then beyond that, darkness falls upon him and a, a great terror, a great fear, likely representing the very presence of the Lord coming upon him. Much like the clouds and the darkness that surrounded Mount Sinai when God descended upon the mountain to give the covenant to Moses and to the people of Israel, we see darkness descending upon Abram in the same way. God's very presence is now entering this area to make covenant with Abram. And God speaks there and clarifies the terms of the agreement in verses 13 through 16. But then we see in verses 17 and 18 this fascinating imagery. Verse 17 says this, When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. This fire pot, this smoking torch is symbolic of the divine presence. You might imagine the burning bush that appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, symbolic of the very presence of God in Moses' presence. Or also as God descends upon the mountain in Exodus chapter 19 to give the Mosaic covenant, he's described there as descending in fire. And so Abram sees this fire pot, this smoking torch, come there and pass between these two animals. And we're told that it's on that day that the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Whereas normally two parties would pass together through these parts, God here is taking on full responsibility for the promises of the covenant. God and Abram do not pass together between the divided animals, but God alone passes through. One author said God, with astounding condescension, was symbolizing that if he were to break his word, he himself would be sundered like the butchered animals. It was an acted out curse, a divine self-imprecation guaranteeing that Abram's descendants would get the land or God would die. And God cannot die. 
He is guaranteeing to Abram that he will certainly fulfill his covenant promises, else God himself will die, ceasing to exist and becoming like these animals. God takes upon himself the covenant sanctions so that the promises will be fulfilled to Abram. Now certainly there's going to be covenant sanctions imposed upon Abram and his offspring in Genesis 17. This covenant certainly is gracious, but it is not a complete covenant of grace. There's the implication or the the sanction of circumcision that will be placed upon Abram and his offspring for individual participation in this covenant. But ultimately and corporately, It is God who graciously condescends to come to Abram to pass between these animals and to guarantee the fulfillment of this covenant unilaterally. It depends upon God alone. So this covenant establishes Abram as head of the covenant and participation in this covenant depends upon relationship to Abram. It establishes Abram's descendants as the people of God. It establishes the land of Canaan as the land which they will inherit. And ultimately, this covenant that God makes with Abram establishes God's purpose of redemptive history to bring a blessing to the nations through a descendant of Abram. It guarantees that the Messiah, the seed of the woman, will come from Abram's genealogy. It is by God's solemn covenant with Abram that this is guaranteed in Genesis 15. Well, throughout Scripture, we certainly see that God is faithful to fulfill His covenant promises. As He invokes this curse upon Himself, lest He fulfill the promises, we see in Genesis, excuse me, throughout the Scriptures, that the promises made in Genesis are certainly fulfilled. We read in Joshua 21, So the Lord gave Israel all the land He had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all he had sworn to their ancestors. None of their enemies were able to stand against them, for the Lord had handed over all the enemies to them. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. Unless there be any doubt left in our minds, Under Solomon's kingship, we read in 1 Kings 4 that Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. This is the same description of the land that we find in Genesis 15. God is faithful to his word and fully fulfills all of his promises to Abram and his offspring. Now this covenant certainly anticipates more covenants to come. More revelation of God, of Himself to His people. That's why the description of verse 13 through 16 is there. Abram, I'm not going to fulfill this immediately. This will happen in 400 years. Your offspring are going to go down into a land and they're going to serve a foreign nation. And then I'm going to deliver them out with many possessions and bring them to this land. There's going to be another people, or there's going to be a delay in this promise. There's going to be a people who are brought out of Egypt to serve me here in Canaan, and I will make another covenant with them. 
One author says this, Those who descended from Abraham, according to the flesh, inherit the land of Canaan. This is the foundational identity of Israel through Abram's covenant. And so the Abrahamic covenant anticipates the making of the Mosaic covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. But even greater than that, brothers and sisters, it anticipates the final covenant, the new covenant made in Christ Jesus. This covenant with Abraham promises a new covenant because the blessings will come through the Messiah. It anticipates and promises that there is another and better and greater covenant and another and better and greater covenant mediator. One author says this, the scripture reveals that the blessings of the world is the new covenant. The benefits of Jesus Christ's salvific life, death, and resurrection are made available to all the world through the new covenant. So from its inception, the Abrahamic covenant is not just anticipating the new covenant, but carrying it within itself. The old covenant is pregnant with the new covenant. And so when we read about the Abrahamic covenant and all the covenant promises of God, it carries within itself the anticipation. It is pregnant with the new covenant promises secured to us in Christ Jesus. The land, the people, the blessings all point to greater spiritual realities of a spiritual offspring, an eternal home, and new covenant blessings for all the nations. The Abrahamic covenant looks forward to one through whom all nations can be united and blessed. Not just Israel in Canaan, but all the nations will receive the blessings of God in him. And so this covenant is a covenant of promise. A covenant of guardianship. A covenant that guarantees that a better covenant and a better covenant mediator are coming. It anticipates the new covenant mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this text this morning, brothers and sisters, we're reminded that God graciously condescends to assure us of His promises. He meets us in our weakness, in our doubts, and in our faithlessness. And God, God's covenant promises and His covenant faithfulness are on full display for us to see as He assures us of His goodness and His faithfulness in our weakness. He condescends, showing us a glimpse of His majesty by revealing His character to us by making this covenant with Abram. What condescension that God would meet our weaknesses by binding himself to frail humanity in making this covenant with Abraham. But greater still, brothers and sisters, what great condescension of God that he would bind himself to humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. That he would condescend in such a great way that he would reveal himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that he would secure, not the Abrahamic covenant, but a, a better covenant, the new covenant of grace to us in the work of Jesus on the cross. He ratifies a new and better covenant for us by his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Jesus Christ walks between the sacrificed animals for us, going where we could not go ourselves because we're too weak and frail. We would break the covenant. We would dishonor the Lord. We would not uphold our end of the bargain. 
But as God passes between the animals in Genesis 15, the Lord Jesus Christ as God in the flesh walks where we could not. He goes where we could not to secure eternal life for us. He secures the blessings of God and for the, for the nations for us by passing through death for us. In a few moments, we're going to come to the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters, when we receive Christ's body broken for us and His blood shed for us, it is the new covenant promises of everlasting life. It is reconciliation with God. It is eternal salvation that we celebrate together. It is the body of Christ broken. Not the body of animals broken, but the body of Christ broken for us. It is not the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats and rams and birds. But it is the shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself for us. Securing a greater covenant for us. And if you're here this morning, I want you to know that salvation, redemption, is found only in this better covenant. It is found only in the better covenant keeper, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to have salvation by your works. You're not going to be reconciled back to God because you're a good person. You're not going to walk side by side between these carcasses with God and somehow ensure that you yourself are going to keep by your own effort the covenant of God and merit your own salvation. No, God alone passes through the animals. God alone secures the covenant. Jesus Christ alone secures eternal salvation. You, a fallen sinner, are unable to keep the covenant sanctions. You are unable to enter into equal covenant with God and merit your eternal life. The covenant that you need is a covenant of grace. You, the covenant that you need is Christ's covenant that He secures by the shedding of His blood. If you will repent of your sins, if you will repent of your self-righteousness, if you will turn away from trying to secure your salvation by your own abilities and look to Jesus, if you will plead His shed blood and acknowledge that He has gone where you cannot and has secured a better way for you, you will have everlasting life. You will have eternal life. You will be reconciled back to God and you will receive His grace. Or dear church, as we consider the Abrahamic covenant and coming to the Lord's Supper, I would remind us that through the weakness of our faith, through the doubt of God's promises, we thank Him this morning that He has given us sacraments, signs to point to, to remind us of His covenant faithfulness. As Abram stood last week gazing into the stars, looking up at the heavens, being reminded of God's covenant faithfulness. So we look at the bread and we look at the cup and we're reminded that this is the body of Christ broken for us, given for us, and it is the blood of Christ shed for us. And in this, God has revealed His covenant faithfulness to us. Let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, you've made yourself known. You have revealed yourself and you have condescended to show us who you are. But not only that, Lord, you have bound yourself to humanity freely, willingly. Lord, you owed us none of this. But just as you have covenanted with Abram, so you have covenanted with us through Christ Jesus that we would have eternal life. 
and your word cannot be broken. Lord, we thank you for this. We rejoice in this. We plead this in the blood of Christ alone for our salvation. And we pray, God, that as we come to the supper together, that you would remind us of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.